Um, okay. It is, oh, what are we doing? So it's the end of 2019 and we're going to talk about our best books of the year. That's what oh we're doing. Oh my God. You know what? 2019 has both been one minute long and 35,000 years long. Well, and I'm super scared about 2020. Like, let's be real, right? Oh, God. <laughs> you know, there's supposed to be a new Kristen Callahan coming in 2020, <gasps> and I need that, like, right now. I, would, I told her I today, would, I was like, Kristen, I can't. No, I that ha- just, you, listen, I, I don't often pull the, like, I'm special card, but I would really like that. Scotty. I just feel like I know you know what this is. God. I was like, can you reload manage onto Amazon and make it a 2019 date so I can talk about it? Please and thank you. Oh my god, and fall. Uh, you know, here's the thing. Oh god, Kristen. Here's the thing. It's like there are certain people who are slow writers. I know you guys don't at me. Um and like all I do is just like long for books from them. And, like, Kristen is one of those people who, like, I just... I pine. I pine. We're a romance trope. All I want <laughs> is a new Kristen book and a new Cressley Cole book. Oh. Oh, oh! Look what you did! You know what we should say? Welcome to Faded Mates, everybody. We got our start talking about the Cressley Cole Immortals After Dark series. And today, we got some really big... Presley Cool News. Yeah. Did you see Twitter like exploded with ads for us? All of a sudden I was like, why are all these people tweeting at me? And then I realized like, if only they knew that we found out when they did. Exactly at the or, same moment they yeah, did. Yeah. Like from them. Later, I was walking my dog and Jen texted me and was like, did you get a Cressley Cole email? And I was like, you mean she emailed us? <laughs> no. And, no. Not. She emailed Everybody. 80,000 people on her mailing list. And say. all of you let us know. Monroe, which did not come this year, boohoo, is coming in 2020. Uh, she what, her, what was her exact wording was something like, uh, by summer, 20, early summer 2020 at the latest. So, <laughs> but there's a cover now. Yeah, it's awesome. There wasn't a cover before. Yeah. He looks trapped and blue-eyed. <laughs> like a like I should. <laughs> He's also beardy. Did you see that? He's all yeah, I, I zoomed in a little, maybe. Yeah. I mean, it's it's one of those things. It's like the like the world is on fire. Life is real hard. And an email from Cressley Cole or like a promise from Kristen Callahan that we're getting new books. It would go a long way, happy. everybody. It would go a long way. Yeah. So... Sarah, I think what we should do before we launch into talking about some books is talk about why people make a best of the year list anyway. Because I think that it's a like it's such a it's such a terrible thing to do, right? How are you supposed to narrow it down? <laughs> what about the books you forget? You're making people feel bad. Oh my god! Right, the the, the right, drama. So the drama. I think, and it's for me. It's really interesting because I think um, I often come at these this list making, and we each picked five books. I come at this list making with like a couple different like things in mind. One is I really want to try and um, like as a obviously as a critic, I want to like give you books that I really just think are going to be perfect and you're going to love them. Um, but I think for me, I'm also trying to capture something about like the way my reading year went. That when I look back, I'll be like, 
you know, these are books that I'm going to reread. These are books that, right, like really spoke to me personally, but also maybe like did something amazing as a romance that I think is like worth pointing out. Because obviously I read so many books that I loved this year. That's all we do is talk about books we loved. So it's always kind of a weird artificial thing, but I also think it's like a really useful way to just like, I don't know, like say to yourself, like what's really, what really stood out and why? I think it's a good task. I also think it changes from genre to genre what we're mm-hmm. doing. Um, I think that when you talk about like best of the year list, like the winners, of the finalists for the Kirkus Prize or the 10 best books of the year from the New York Times book review or, um, you know, obviously all the award lists right. that come out. They're about books that are generally literary fiction, mm-hmm. generally sort of well received by the literati, yeah. generally critiqued. Like they're they're books that are considered the best of literature. And ultimately, presumably, some of them, some subset of them will end up in, you know, the canon. Whatever. Bum, bum, bum. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Insert serious music here. Um, but I think that when you're talking about thrillers or uh, or romance fiction, or sci-fi, yeah. like you're talking about genre fiction, you're I mean, but you know what? No, that's bullshit. I'm sorry. Like the Edgar's been around for a long time. It gets a oh, lot yeah. of attention. Um, you know, even sci-fi like gets a lot of attention. They're really isn't in like best of the year list from Rome in romance really haven't existed in like mainstream media since, I mean, I'm going to toot my own horn here, but like I started it. Like I wrote, I did the first best of the year romance list for the Washington post in 2014. Wow. And like no other mainstream media outlet had ever done that. And I think that when you start looking at lists from genre for us, yeah, like we're, it's the wild west out here. Like a thousand people are doing lists now. Right. Um, Or not a thousand people, but like all the big places do, do best of the year romance lists. And we'll link to those. I mean, Kirkus does one. I did not choose it, you know, because I... I should say I did not. I don't think I was the first. I don't think... I think Kirkus and PW and them were doing them before me. But, like, I did it in, like, a mainstream media outlet. But now you've got, like, Entertainment Weekly. Maureen is going to do one this year. Will Maureen do one? That was my question. I don't know. I mean, she did one last year, I assume. Did... Was... Has she been doing it that long? See? I... Yeah. She did one last year. Uh, I I mean, I assume she'll do one this year. I don't know. I know Jamie Green has done one before. I don't know if she did it for the New York Times. She did a great one for Vulture, but I don't know if that was last year or the year before. And then there's, you know, there's the Amazon list and the Goodreads Reader's Choice Awards and the sort of, you know, this is a time of year when everybody likes to get to the end of December and sort of say, like, oh, look at the year. Look at And right. now I'm sort of surprised, like, truthfully, we should be seeing best of the decade lists. We should have done yeah. that. Then you could have put Scotty on. Scotty, <laughs> position one, two, Scotty, three, four, and five. Rune. <laughs> <laughs> Best 18 books of the decade. <laughs> yeah. Here's, what's, uh, here's what else is, I think, really hard in romance is some of the best books I read this year, of course, were not 2019 books. Yeah, same. 
So I think that there's not this sense that backlist is so powerful in romance that yeah. there's it's really hard. I literally had to look up books and be like, was this a 2019 book? Yeah. So I think that's another thing that just makes I think it that's difficult. true. I also think um, that in I think that in romance, because it's the Wild West out here and we haven't been doing it for very long, the lists are really interesting because often they're made by people who aren't necessarily reading romance all the time. Right. Yeah. So which is a very difficult thing to do because there's so many. And you're look, I read a lot of romance novels and like I did the Washington Post Best of the Year list for many years. And um, like, of course, I missed great books. Of sure. course, like you can't. Of course you do. And so but the interesting thing is, like, I think in romance, I have always felt like you needed to really because romance is so massive as a genre. You know, I used to think like, all right, well, I want to make sure that like I'm I'm making sure that there's indie in here. I'm making sure that there's something, you know, that there are some curious titles in here that no one else is going to talk about. Because on these other lists, you're seeing, like, the exact same five books come up all the time. Yeah. And that's because literature, you know, critics are – critics are able to sort of say, like, I don't know, Room – Emma Donahue's Room is, like – the greatest book of the year and it ends up on everything. But like in romance, that's not necessarily, it doesn't have to be that every list looks the same. In fact, no. Yeah, they shouldn't. At the same time though, I will admit that the more mainstream the publication, the more likely it seems that people are, even romance insiders are to throw a couple books on the list that romance people would not really consider a genre romance. Yeah, like, I mean, you're seeing a lot, especially, like, the Goodreads Reader's Choice oh, Award yeah, list. for sure. It was really, it's sort of startling what's on there. And you're like, is this a romance? I it, And that's the part where I do feel like, for us and our listeners, like, every book we're choosing, it's like a straight-up genre romance. Yeah, no surprises here. You know, Also, yeah. I think you and I both kind of felt like we didn't want to pick... We loved the bride test. I know. And that's it. But I was like, do I need to pick the bride test? You know, now it's interesting. In a week or so, I am going to be talking at a local Chicago bookstore called The Bookseller up in Lincoln Mm -hmm. Square. Actually, this is going to come out two days before I do that. And um, I had to pick some books in advance to talk about. And one of them I picked was the bride test because I feel like, like, spoiler alert, I'm going to be able to like talk about that to like a Chicago audience of mixed a mixed audience it's not for romance people only and sell it right i don't need to sell the bride test to like romance listeners we already all know how awesome it is and we loved it so yeah, it's really interesting to too, mates, you've probably read the bride test right so it's kind of like what do i want to put on the list that i think is undervalued that i think was great but maybe fell off the radar for people or they didn't get to mm-hmm. so it's, it's like a really interesting um i also really i think you and i both were like i want to try and pick a variety of subgenres. I don't want to just do all contemporary. Right. So it was kind of like thinking that through too. It really is there is some like mental gymnastics about kind of right. a, there being a slot for like a historical or a slot yeah. for a thriller or whatever. And there is the other piece of the puzzle for me too, which is that I want like I know it's a podcast and like I shouldn't care, but I want to be really ethical when I choose the books, my favorite <laughs> yeah. books of the year. Um, so none of these are by, I mean, th- 
I know some of these writers, but I would not say like any of these writers are close friends. Right. Um, and that's vestige, vestige of the, my days reviewing for the post. I don't review for the post anymore. Sometimes I write a column for them now and then, but, um, when I was reviewing, that was kind of the rule. Like I couldn't review. Right. I couldn't list anything that my editor had edited and I couldn't list anything that was written by a friend. Right. So we will, at the end of this, we probably should say this is going to be our best of the year list episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so um, at the end, we'll talk about like books by our friends. Yeah. That, that we loved. So, and some of them we've mentioned, you know, in previous podcasts. Some people have been on the right? podcast. Yeah. So, you know, we are going to burn through these pretty quickly because otherwise we'll be here forever because we each yeah. did five. So that's 10 books. Yep. So we should go ahead maybe and get started. These are no particular no particular order. order. Okay, um, you want to go first? Or you want me to go first? Um, I will go first. Great. I'm going to go. So my first one I've talked about on the podcast before. So, um, but my first pick is Kylie Scott's Repeat, which we did recently. We did on the Amnesia episode. Yeah. So, um, and I think to your point earlier about like what is the point of this? Like, what is the point of these books? I think, um. I came at this list, and I know you did too, with this idea of like, what are what are these books trying to do? How are they teaching me? How are they revolutionizing the genre in some way? Like, how are they changing the way we think about romance? Um, and Kylie really changed the way we think about amnesia romance specifically, but I think romance in general. Like, I think I think Kylie's really interesting. I think she rides multiple lines. I think this this book in particular straddles a line between like contemporary romance and romantic suspense. There's a suspense plot that we really didn't talk very much about during the amnesia mm-hmm. episode that I think is yeah. really interesting and compelling. And interestingly enough, man uh, manipulates the she manipulates the suspense plot in such a way that you're not even sure you're reading a romantic suspense until about halfway through the book. Mm, and then by the time you're actually reading, you're actually aware of the romantic suspense as a plot point. It's all sort of very much connected into the emotional arc of the hero and heroine um, because they I I won't sort of spend too much time recounting the book. You can listen to the Amnesia episode and and where I will talk more about it. But basically, the hero and heroine, it's a um, second chance at love story. And they broke up because the heroine believes that the hero has um, was cheating on her or, you know, had an affair or had a had a, you know, one night stand. And it starts to become clear that she before. And then she gets amnesia mm-hmm. and comes back and they have to fall back in love again. Um, but it starts to become clear, clear that it was not her. He thought she was being like kind of like crazy. Like <laughs> that he thought like she just didn't trust him. And it starts to become clear that in fact she did trust him and somebody was manipulating their relationship. Um, and it's really, really it's interesting. I think Kylie does a lot of really interesting things. I think she makes interesting choices. I think sometimes she is mm. hunting for big game. And um, I really enjoyed this book. I really thought, like, it was a tremendous romance. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, it's definitely on my list and has been since the Amnesia episode. But then I forgot to download it because my life is real busy. 
I have been reading a lot of or attempting a lot of romantic suspense in the past month. And I think in some ways we've talked a lot about how like reading paranormal sometimes like it's just so big and over the top and you just get to experience a different set of emotions and the right romantic suspense will get there for me. And then but I DNF a lot of them like it's just not right for me. And I think reading this book, which is called Every Last Breath by Juno Rushton, um, is a book that helped me understand what I am looking for in romantic suspense. So first of all, I'll tell you, I picked this up at Love Sweet Arrow when I was there a couple weeks ago, um, partly because it didn't say romantic suspense on the side. It said romantic thriller. And I was Mm. like... Hmm. Okay. And a couple things. I think it has like the blueprint of a lot of romantic suspense. It has, you know, the dark, the office full of people that are all like secret assassins that work for the government, but not really. They're like black ops or whatever. And um, here's the thing I liked about it. In a lot of those books, I feel like there is, it's mostly men. And then they're finding like the heroine is like a woman in trouble. And I felt like this office, which is called the gray box, is about half women and half men. And our heroine of this book, this is the first of a series, is a woman named Maddox. And she ended up, she worked for the CIA and got recruited to this like black ops site. And, you know, when she was in her early 20s, she was in love with a man who um, was, his name was Nikolai, and he was his family was part of like the Russian mob mob or whatever. And she kind of accidentally without really knowing what she was doing, told her father about something she overheard at his home. And her dad was like some sort of law enforcement agent. And it ended up, he ended up essentially arresting a bunch of Nikolai's family and his father was killed and Nikolai was killed. And she, and she for nine years has been like, I, betrayed the man I loved and he was killed and his father was killed and what the fuck. And at the beginning of this book, she goes to like essentially extract a Russian national from a hot spot. They're going to try and bring him in. And it is, it's Nikolai. He's been alive the whole time. Hell, surprise. <laughs> I know. But you know what was so awesome about this book is she, I think, part of, and again, I'm sure, and I would love recommendations, there are plenty of romantic suspense. I think Rebecca Zanetti does it, which is one of the reasons I tend to like her, where it's not just like the a woman in peril plot. And instead, Maddox is powerful, kick-ass. She knows how to fight. She's smart. She knows her job. She knows what she's doing. And this whole entire setup of this book, like, really worked for me. And essentially, the other thing I really liked is the... They weren't... The bad guys were essentially trying to release, like, a weaponized smallpox. And I liked that it was not the sort of casual, <laughs> really unfortunate, and I can't read it, like racism against Middle Eastern people. Mm. Which I feel like a lot of those books sort of traffic in, at least the, the ones I sure. DNF. And instead, it was like, no, this is just bad guys who are trying to, like, just their weapons dealers. And and so I mm-hmm. ended up thinking, I, I burned through this book, and I cannot wait to get to the second one. So... um and I, like I said, I don't read tons of romantic suspense. So having one that really like hit all those cylinders for me was it was like a real great read for me. And it feels like a real find. And it helped me understand why I think this is the why it like rose to the top. It helped me understand why other ones weren't working for me. Good. Yeah. 
So, I mean, I love a good romantic suspense. That one, that book is on my, has been on my TBR in both arc. <laughs> they say I have both a print arc and a, finish, a finished copy from the publisher. And I keep setting it sort of aside to, like, read. Um, but I'm down with yeah. arm stealers and... Weaponized small. Is it sexy? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I, I thought it was a really good... Um, I thought it like the tension between them is just so intense. And then like the emotional weight of, you know, her regret over what she's done, but her fury at him for not for like, she's like, I loved you. You knew how I felt about you and you didn't, you didn't come back for me. I mean, mm-hmm. oh, I thrilled. That. That's like one of my very favorite tropes. You know, the, um, <laughs> did you ever read, were you ever a Laura Lee reader? Yeah. Do you read the one? This is Joanna Shoup told me about this book. We were on a road trip and she, she was we like, talked about this have you one read one. the one where he was abducted? Like he was a special forces guy abducted in the jungle or something and then like fed a bunch of aphrodisiac and it never left his system. So he just has to bone all the time. It's called wild card, everybody. You're welcome. And then he comes back and she's running his like um, his mechanic shop. Oh, God, and, when they come back. And she's like, oh, he's so familiar to me, this guy, but he's not. Like, and they were married. And yeah. she's like, I don't know. And he's had, like, facial. He's had, like, a face-off kind of movie facial of reconstruction. Sure. So he looks different, but his eyes are the same. And then they, like, bone a bunch. And then she's like, and he's, like, jealous of himself. I love jealous of himself, by the <laughs> yeah, way. That's a as good like one, a, for sure. That's a great, like, that's old school highwayman shit. Yeah. Anyway, so I do love, like, I love the, like, returned after many, many years. Yeah. To love you again. Well, I think the other thing is there's some real good setup for future books, including I I am like so tuned in already. Her boss is in his like late 40s and has his eye on one of the worker bees and they're flirting with each other. And I was like, look at me. This motherfucker is going to get his book 10 books from now. And here I am. I'm like, oh, but what about him? I love and it. I love that too. I think romantic suspense, like that whole team of assassins business, really. There's a lot to work with there. I love it. Um. All right, where do we go from here? I want to go to historicals because I will say it. this: there is a shocking lack of historicals on these best of lists this year. Yeah. Um. We couldn't talk about your book, but I think that's. Um. <laughs> Yeah, I've been very lucky, but um, I think that's partially because there's a shocking lack of historicals in romance right now. It feels like there's like, mm, there yeah. are a lot of, but at, rather there's a shocking lack of romance, of historical romance that people are talking about. Yeah. Um, there are lots of historicals being right. written um, and many of them very good. So I want to talk about two. I, I, so I played publishing dates with this I played publishing dates with this game and I know you didn't so we're actually it's best of the year for 13 months uh I kind of did because my understanding is my December 30th date that's actually a January book it's actually a 20 a 2020 book so my book is a December 24th 2018 book which is actually in publishing world considered a January 2019 book so we're doing that I'm that's what I'm sta- I'm standing by it. Um my pick is Dare to Love a Duke by Eva Lay. And I think Eva is a really magnificent 
writer. I think she, I mean, she writes, she has in the past written, um, she wrote sci-fi romance under Zoe Archer. Um, and she's written, you know, she wrote a Hallmark movie, I think. I mean, she's written a lot of like, a lot of different things. But she, right now, I think she is really like, she is really, really a fabulous historical reader, a reader, a fabulous historical writer. And if you have not read her books, you should, um, if you are a historical fan. Um, and I picked her January 2019 book, Dare to Love a Duke, um, which I really adore. Um, it's part of her London Underground series, so it should come as no surprise to anybody that sure. <laughs> I love anything that is labeled London Underground, <laughs> um, especially if it requires, if it involves dukes who are in the underground <laughs> with <laughs> other people. Sure. Um, and it's also set in a sex club, which everybody will know that I adore. Like, there's a lot. This is basically a catnip book for me. Yeah. Um, the heroine is uh, Lucia, who is the daughter of an Italian woman and an Englishman. Again, very similar to my life. I'm <laughs> the daughter of an Italian man and an English woman. Um, but I am not a famous courtesan who manages a sex club and is a sex worker, even though I really wish I kind of were. I think that would be really <laughs> amazing. I would love, you know, there's um, a, a long time ago, there was that, somebody asked a question on Twitter, like, if you were forced to go back in time, like 100 years, what would your job be? And I was like, <laughs> fucking brothel owner. I don't like Hello? <laughs> instantly. I was like, I don't want to do anything else. I'm going to run a brothel. I'm going to be great at it. <laughs> I've That's been waiting amazing. my whole, I've been preparing my whole life for this job. Um, so anyway, she manages something called the Orchid Club, um, and it's, uh, like a sex club, but it's very modern. It's, um, consent is, like, constant there, um, and it's terrific, and she, Lucia manages this club, um, and it is owned by some, by a mysterious dude who then dies, mm. um, and she's like, oh, shit, my like money, my money line is gone. I need to find the new owner. Like who is like somebody mm. has inherited this club. Who is it? And it turns out. Can I fall in love with him? <laughs> exactly. Turns out the new owner is a Duke, a new Duke named sure. Tom. <laughs> sure. and, hey, Tom. <laughs> and Tom, Tom, whose father is like. He thought was like the biggest stick up his ass, like pompous, mm. proper, perfect, like fucking aristocrat. And then it turns out, no, he's actually like the secret backer of a sex club. Um, so anyway, Amazing. they are. Yeah. And he's, of course, like this part's perfect. He's like politically the dad was like super conservative and like banging his drum in parliament mm. about how like sex. Of course workers were terrible and then he dies and surprise he owns a sex club so um he is like so basically he just she like has to meet him and then when they meet he's like well i guess i have to know like i have to know about this place because he's compelled by her like he's of course he meets her and he's like oh my god right and then he starts like hanging around the sex club And they fall in love. And it's really magnificent. And it's magnificent for a lot of reasons. One, I think 
Um, Eva is writing really modern historicals. Like, I think they feel very fresh. I think they feel very... They have really, like, modern sensibilities in the sense that, like, there's no shaming of Lucia in this book. Like, she's very skilled at her job um, and very – and, like, there's never a moment where you feel like, oh, it's dirty or, like, she wishes she weren't part of it. Like, there's never a moment where she's ashamed of it. And I think that that's really important. And I think it sort of is a – home. it's a – puts a stake in the ground. It's a hallmark for a new generation of, like, these courtesan books that don't Mm – haven't always had that as a right as a plot thread right and then on top of it so there's also like a (laughs) there's a let's bang it out for one night and get each other out of our system which we all know i love (laughs) i don't i mean i love it so much just one night just one night it's gonna work just one night Moulin Rouge. (laughs) Um, And there's just a lot going on here that's awesome. And I feel like, um, and it's super sexy. She writes a great sex scene that's like real, like it's real intense and like dirty, but also like makes you want these two people to just be in love forever. And then on top of it, there's just this real feeling. I have this, I have this really powerful feeling about this book being transformative because it lays out these characters and it gives them a happily. It's giving a woman who is proud of her sexuality and like proud of her sexual identity and proud of her skill and her past, like happily happiness. And I think great. Yeah, that's awesome. I don't know if I have this book, but I'm gonna add it it's to my really, list. It's really, really great. It's yeah, really it sounds great. amazing. And I know I also just want to shout out um Jenny Nordback also loves this book like i had this book on a pile and jenny was like pull it out this book feels important to me as somebody who was who was a sex worker yeah yeah Um, and i feel like that's always it's one of those moments where you're like i want to listen to that as a like that's a valuable yeah right recommendation point of view exactly and one that like i'm i will say i i guess i'll just say like i know that twitter can be like a dumpster fire but the fact that I now have so many more voices and people who I can listen to who are like, this is really important, pay attention, yeah. Yeah. I do think has made me a better reader and a better yeah. person. So I know it's hard to, like, sometimes it feels like you're just in the quagmire, but I feel like that's a really big part of And just discovering new writers and, right, or just having people say, like, read this. It really, yeah, you know, that means a lot. So Yeah, I also just want to, can we just pause here and sort of shout out to everybody, like, Please keep telling us when you read a great book. Oh, God, like, yes. I feel like that's been slowing down. Like, I feel like Twitter is just yeah. a garbage fire a lot. And, like, like more book talk. Read, yeah. If you read a great book, will you, like, at me on Twitter? Because I just, I want more great books. Yeah. You know, Jen and I were talking. We made these lists. And we got to go more. We got to go more quickly. But, the you know, we made these lists this year, this this week. And, like both Jen and I were in a big reading slump for part of the year. Yeah. And um reader I feel recommendations like if more sometimes. people recommended great books to me, I would be happier. Yeah. Somebody recommended a book to me today called Stocking Stuffers. <laughs> it's supposed to be pretty dirty, so I did download that. Well, I do Stay love tuned, pretty dirty. Everyone. Stay tuned. Okay, let me do an since we're in historical land, I'm gonna do I also have two historicals. So I'm gonna talk about KJ Charles, um, 
Any Old Diamonds, which I really loved. And in fact, someone recommended to me, I think it was Amy Jo Cousins recommended to me after I wrote my piece about um, unreliable narrators. And she was like, you should really read this book. And I was like, well, hello, that's like right what I want to do. And I thought this book was terrific. So the setup is that Alec, um, he has like a really funny name and I'm definitely not in any way going to like say it right because I'm so American. It's like Pine Folks, but it's like a double F on Folks with the hyphen. <laughs> anyway, Alec, <laughs> I know, it's like, sure, is the son of a duke, but he and his, he has two, well, he had two sisters and a brother. The four of them, essentially, their mother dies when Alec is eight, and his father almost immediately takes up with the wife of his, like, man, you know, man of affairs. And then some shit went down. All of a sudden, Alec's mother, he'd been, the affair had been happened before. Alec's mom was really sick. Um, so the mom all of a sudden dies. Her husband dies. All of a sudden, the path is clear for these really two terrible people to marry each other. And then, even though these kids are so young, they essentially get, like, cut off because the new duchess just doesn't want anything to do with them. And now it's 20 years later, one of Alec's sisters has died of essentially illness and the Duke refused to come to her aid, even though he's, you know, the richest man in Britain. And Alec hatches a plot to essentially steal his stepmother's diamond necklace on their 20th anniversary. And he needs the help of these two men, the Lily White Boys, and one of them is named Jerry Crozier. And Jer- and this is like the long con, right? So this whole mm-hmm. book is like the long con. It's later in the summer that this dinner party is going to happen and Jerry and Alec are going to need to get there and have like a, essentially be, you know, they can't just appear out of nowhere, right? So Alec has to like prostrate himself and like make up with his father and this woman and pretend that he wants back in their life and his sister and brother are horrified they don't want anything to do with it and it's all this like total game of like cat versus mouse and you as the reader there's so much signaling that people are not really telling the truth and you as the reader are like trying so hard to figure it out so it's like it's like watching it's like a game of clue she is so talented. Yes. She's such a talented, talented. She's a real craftsman. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And the craft of this book is really spectacular. At the same time, I found Alec, and it really does stick to his point of view, which I think you have to. I mean, it's it's third person, but it really sticks with him. Um, I think the whole, his... Oh, God, the feelings, right? Like, he so into Jerry, but knows that Jerry is, like, a criminal, and he's asked Jerry to do this thing, and you can tell there are secrets between them, and the way he's betraying his his family, and the, I mean, it is, like, this emotional tour de force, and, and also, like, a really top-notch, like, sort of whodunit in terms of, like, what's going on, and are they going to get the jewels, and I... And because it's K.J. Charles, it's somehow 230 pages that are wound so fucking tight that there is just not anything, right? It's just perfect. Mm-hmm. It's great. Uh, I think she, oh, uh, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes you st- you read an author and you just think to yourself, like, God, if I could just write one sentence. <laughs> 
this way. She's really a wonderful writer. Yeah, there was one, and I should I should look and see if I can find it. There was this one line in particular, and I don't know if I have it. Uh, and if I can't, I will come back to it. But it was this really amazing. Oh, he's he first meets Jerry, right? And Jerry tells him, you know, like, this is the long con. And he says, give me six hours to chop down a tree and I will spend the first four sharpening the axe. And the whole it's like, that's when you really know, like, oh, everything is going to just get laid out and be sharp as a knife. And then at the end, it's like, boom. Mm-hmm. So great. Oh. Yay. Um, all right. Well, well, let's just stay in historical land then. Yeah. Um, my next pick is The Beast of Beswick, which is out maybe today? Tomorrow? Tomorrow. This week. This November week. 26th. Um, and from Amelie Howard, who uh, I think is incredibly, an incredibly great writer. Um, so this is Regency. It's a spin. It's Beauty and the Beast meets Taming of the Shrew is the uh, conceit. And the heroine, who is Astrid, is, uh, you would love this, she's backed into a big, mm. fat corner. I love um, that. So it begins with Astrid um, discovering that her aunt and uncle have sort of decided that she is going to marry, they're going to betroth her to this, like, terrible dude. Um, because when she is married to this particular dude, he then controls her sister, her and her sister's dowry. Like, okay. And they need this dowry. So basically they're like, you can marry Astrid. And then when you've done that, we want, like, then you can pay us this, mm. like, the, uh, the sister. Like, they're bad people. They're yeah. terrible bad people. So she absolutely does not want this to happen, clearly. Oh, and also, you should know that, it, like, he destroyed her reputation, like, ages ago by, like, oh, she is rejected. she ruined? She rejected. <gasps> she's ruined. She's She rejected him. Yeah. Um, they were, like. He asked her to marry him. She rejected him because he was a fucking asshole. And then he twisted their twisted the rejection to be about her, you know, and and she ended up ruined. So basically, um, I'm sorry. So he so they have betrothed her. I'm sorry, not Astrid. They've betrothed Isabel, her sister, to this terrible man. Mm. Yeah, this this terrible man. So she's like, like, oh fuck. Like, I got to get myself married because in, in the, her parents' will, it's a little bit of like a Romance Landia will situation. But like Romance in her parents, reasons. <laughs> yeah. In her parents' will, like, if she's married, then her husband controls her sister's dowry, right? And got can it. basically okay. approve or not approve the marriage. So she's like, I got to save Isabel. Um, <laughs> save your sister. So she's like, fuck, I need a dude. Like, I need somebody who will stand up to this guy. Mm -hmm. So she figures out like, all right, what I'm going to do is end up marrying. I'm going to go and I'm going to like throw myself on the mercy of the beast of Beswick, a war hero Lord whose name is Thane, who is like very scarred emotionally and physically. 
<laughs> I wanted so much already. I'm she like, goes, okay. So she goes okay, to him Sarah. and she's like, you got to marry me. And he's like, hmm, what now? <laughs> he's like, no, I'm not fucking marrying you. And so, but he also needs like, but basically he like needs a, he, he needs an heir. He needs a wife. He needs a, you know, he needs all this stuff. So, um, they marriage of convenience and it is really lovely in large part because she is she may be beautiful but she is a real pain in his ass yeah um and she's like that. a rabid feminist like uh there there's like a constant like basically they have foreplay over frankenstein like mm. There's all this discussion of, like, Shelley and Wollstonecraft and, like, how women should be and, like, what, why women, like, have been, have always been, like, how, why patriarchy sucks and, like, mm-hmm. and how, and she's brilliant and she has all these, like, like, this immense knowledge of, like, the classics, but also, like, literature across the board and he's a reader and he's read everything, too. And it's just so great because, like, she's so enraged when she goes to him about this kind of idea that, like, women can't deal, can't own themselves. Yeah. And he is like, I get it. Like, you're right patriarchy exists and it's sort of like it's this really like modern cool it's really like it's a great historical for 2019 yeah that's awesome really loved it um i tore through it it is the book that broke my um my reading slump so that was why i picked it because i was like well the book that got me out of that months long reading slump had to have been the best one of the best of the year for me yeah that's amazing that's great um so yeah that's awesome especially any book that like takes a a beloved trope and like makes it feel new again is i think also like a great book to put on a best of list right yep okay and like she set up for the shakespearean lovers the shakespeare lovers in the crew like She's the taming of the shrew piece is really great because it twists the whole thing on his head. But also, like, if you love the sister relationship and taming of the shrew, that's here too. And yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'm gonna do a um a historical that is officially, I guess, a 2020 book, but I don't care because it's December 30th. To regular also, people. let's be honest, you're gonna want to talk about it. You're gonna talk about this book for like I was gonna a, talk about this book anyway, right? You were year. like, I was literally like, we're fighting if you want to talk about this book. I so. mean, I was gonna put it on the list, and then I was like, no, it's 2020. And then because <laughs> I, like, I play by publishing rules. Except for Eva Lee. <laughs> shut up, stop it. <laughs> um, it's The Prince of Broadway by Joanna Shoup. And it's this is so good. <laughs> oh, it's the second book in the Uptown Girls series. And this, oh, fuck you guys. I don't know. This book just, like, really worked for me at every level. And so the heroine's name is Florence. And she has been, she and her, um, she, the, her, the first book was The Rogue of Fifth Avenue, which I liked a lot. Um, but this book was, like, kind of better for me. And I got to tell you right now, I am planning to hire a hacker to break into Joanna Shoup's computer <laughs> and... Get myself a copy of book number three, which I think comes out next summer. And Mm. in this book, Florence is essentially um, determined to open her own casino. 
and she wants to open yes, a I know she wants works. to open a casino for women and her oh. plan and the part that's so great is Bless her little and heart. I read a early version of this I think it's probably still on point is she keeps going to the most famous casino in New York owned by Clay Clayton Madden and mm-hmm. she keeps essentially like kind of blowing in and playing at the tables until she gets kicked out of his casino. And finally, he's like, why do you keep coming here? You know I don't want women in my casino. And she's like, well, I was hoping you'd teach me how to run one. <laughs> and he was like, um, excuse me, what? And of course, like, the uh, the attraction between them is instantaneous. Uh, and so, so good. he agrees, essentially, to teach her how to run a casino and, you know, do all the things that she's going to need to do. And, you know, and he's like, you can't afford this, is, you know, and he essentially makes her... He's like, you know, you'd have to pay me like $100 an hour, which I'm assuming back then was like, you know, something, you know, out of the reach of regular people. Right. And she was like, <laughs> done. And so they agree to have these like lessons in casino. <laughs> I know. And I got to tell you, here's what I loved about this book. I think her running the casino never seems like a silly thing. It's something she's really serious about, and she's serious about learning, and he comes to respect mm-hmm. that. I think Joanna Shoup, like, the fucking sexual tension is off the oh, charts. She's and so then, good at it. And then they're going to, like, f- and they finally do it. You're like, oh, my <sighs> God. You guys, if you don't read Joanna Shoup, you're making a mistake. Yeah, it's like, amazing. I know that a lot of people are like, ah, oh, Gilded Age, I don't know. Ah, oh, New no. York, I don't know. Fuck this- you. New York City in the Gilded Age is super hot. Yeah, Go is, read Joanna. She will blow your mind. Yeah, it's an amazing book. I'm sorry and, for saying fuck you, obviously. No, it's amazing. I just get really, I get really excited. Like, I want everybody to write Gilded Age. Like, gas lamps are, all I want yeah. is kissing beneath gas lamps and <laughs> bustles. I want fucking bustles. That's what I want. Like, those big, yeah. beautiful, like, the covers of these books with those, like, big, beautiful bustles. Oh, God, the covers <gasps> right, of these books They're fucking magnificent. Are... And yeah. all I want is to just read, like, 200 books by Joanna set in the Gilded Age. Yes. And so, like, everybody needs to go read Joanna. She's amazing. Here's the other thing I'll say, and I don't want to spoil it, but I thought, and I know we've talked about people, you know, I actually, I know we are, like, read the epilogues and prologues, but the epilogue of this book, to me, it was like some it gave me something I didn't even know I wanted until it happened. And once everybody reads it, I will like write a thread about it after New Year's. But this book, it just blew me away. I think it is a perfect historical romance. I think it is uh it, its character work is just really strong. And it yes. really like the pr- I think it what it is is it really commits and the, to the promise of the premise. And is faithful to that all the way till the very end. And I just thought it was fantastic. Yes. Agreed. Joanna is my friend. So I agree with that, with the caveat that she is my friend. Just find out her po- her password, please. <laughs> I'm sure it's just like a What I can document. tell you is that I hear like, it's done. So Shut it will be soon. Up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It will be soon. Woo. All right. My next one's a duet. Hmm. It's complete, though. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Don't Thank worry God. about it. I'd be like, look. <laughs> You'd be like, we're breaking up. <laughs> I was at a, I was at a, um, I was at a, a 
conference over the weekend a couple of weeks ago, and I was talking about reviewing books for the Washington Post and basically like how people should can be getting more attention from professional reviewers. Um, and somebody came up to me after and was like, you didn't tell everybody that you didn't review cliffhanger books. And I was like, oh, no, I forgot. But I should have said that <laughs> because cliffhangers suck. And sorry, fine. they do. But, you know, some people don't mind. And it's but this okay. Is complete. Um, so my pick is Kennedy Ryan's All the King's Men series. And God, there's so much to say about this. So it's all right. It's two books long. Um, it the first book ends with a cliffhanger and but it is complete now. And it is one of the rare cliff hung. Do we say that cliff hanged series? That feels like it needs the space of two books to tell the story. So our heroine is um, Lennox Hunter. um, And she is uh, Native American. She is... um, She is a Native activist. She has been... The book is incredibly far-reaching in terms of, you know, what Jen always talks about in terms of, like, some writers are are hunting big game. And Kennedy, I mean, I felt this way about her basketball series, mm-hmm. and I feel this way about this. I feel like when Kennedy Ryan sits down to write a book, she is hunting big game from page one. So she's built these two characters. So Lennox is like so Lennox is is a native activist. Um Maxim is a billionaire um who is co- like her his brother is running for president. Um there is like he's he's deep in politics, he's deep in business. He is the antithesis of like they are the antithesis of each mm-hmm. other. And it reminded me a little bit of um I talked about Adriana Herrera's um American Love story is that the the last one? American love story about like the DA and the Black Lives Matter activist, and how like there's just this constant push pull between them, and you really don't see how it's ever going to net itself out in a in a true in love because how could these people possibly end up you know married in Mm -hmm. in all senses of the word? Kennedy's doing the same thing here. But it's almost more intense. It is more intense because she's tackling these sort of huge issues, right? Like what is happening to Native women in America Mm -hmm. is horrifying, right? Like there's – she's tackling missing and murdered Indigenous women. She's tackling um, the land grab that's happening uh, on Native lands from corporations and Mm from um, the government. She's tackling – politics in America in 2019 and 2020. She's tackling um, race in America. She's tackling class in America. She's tackling money, like rich billionaires. Like she's setting billionaires on the page and she's basically saying like, one character is saying like, literally like she's saying like eat the rich like the rich are what is taking like all Mm -hmm. that the rich that rich people are doing is taking from us and here's a billionaire who's coming in and this is not like a billionaire who's gonna hire you to be his nanny or his secretary and like fall in love with you right like fuck you maxim you're part of the problem not only are you part of the problem you're part of the problem on multiple levels because money power politics like 
everything privilege Mm -hmm. in the extreme. It is stunning the way she knits this book together. Kennedy can write a sentence like, nobody's business. And it's really a magnificent book that is doing work that, frankly, I'm not sure anybody else is doing in romance. Like, it is such an immense project that she's in such an immense, it's an immense piece of work. It's a well, and I think I feel those stupid are important saying books, it, but right? like it's like a magnum opus, like it's like a yeah. huge book, yeah. And it's too, and uh, you know, they're way cheaper than they should be. To be honest, <laughs> you can get them for three ninety nine or in KU, and yeah, it's well, one, and it's is, there. A lot of people are reading them, though. I mean, and I think that's that's fantastic, right? Yeah, I mean, it's real sexy. Um, it's a it's a. Uh, the actual trope is lost love refound. Like it's a second chance trope. Mm. They knew each other as kids and then they come back together again. Um, and I think like, I'm neither, I'm not, I'm not native. So I don't know, but yep. the, it feels like she's being very thoughtful about how she's tackling native issues. And I honestly feel like we don't see that enough in romance. We don't yeah. see thoughtful awareness of issues relating to native Native Americans. Enough. Yeah, there's only a handful even of own voices Native American authors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and there's also like a huge climate change thread. Yeah. It's big it's big. It's yeah. big game. Like it's it's a book that it it's a book that is it's it's a it's epic and it's powerful and it's meaningful and it's important and I think it's worthy of reading. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's why I put it on the list. Like, I feel like if it's worthy of reading this year. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I, um, I'm going to talk about a book that I think is like worthy in a very different way. <laughs> <laughs> My last one. I'm saving I know, the best I'm like, for you should have saved that for last. I was like, I feel like it's <laughs> a tough one to follow. But, you know, if anyone can do it, it is Elia Winters. And I really love her <laughs> book called Just Past Two. And it's an erotic romance. And I think the reason I want to talk, I wanted to put this on my list was, I think that um, I'm really interested in, especially this year, I think in books that just like really are exploring like the way people's relationships change over time. And, you know, a lot of times that's like marriage in trouble. And in this case, it's not like a marriage in trouble. It's just a marriage that like there's this, I don't know, like this golden opportunity and we really see two people seize it. And sometimes that means, you know, like, we're going to travel someplace new together, like in real life. In erotic romance, it means we're going to go on a journey, an erotic journey. Nice. And in this case, Abby and Sam have been married for like 10 years. They go to her, essentially her college reunion. And she was a real wild child in college. And she's and she really feels like she has like kind of, str- but it got her in trouble, right? Like she almost fails out of college or she's really worried about kind of how it's going to impact her. It wasn't like the healthiest behavior. And now she's like sort of happy and in this marriage and love Sam. And they, um, they're out, I think on a patio, like just having a drink when they spy two people having sex. And it really turns both of them on. And they end up, like, essentially having sex while they're watching it. And they end up essentially really having this conversation about, like, what it is 
like all of a sudden all their fantasies about essentially about having like a third person in their relationship. But it's not like a threesome. It's that Sam wants to watch. And so it's like this old the the couple they see one the man in this couple is her an old guy she's like really had a crush on and a couple weeks later they run into him at a club and like essentially they're like this you know what we're going to just do it we're going to we are kind of out on a date but like we're both interested in maybe like inviting him home with us and I thought the thing I thought was really interesting about this book is when we talk about erotic romance, I mean, we've talked about Sierra's books and like what they do, but I think that this is a really perfect example of an erotic romance that is like, here are people really trying to figure out who they are. But it, I thought like the fact that they were already together, right? It was just like a really interesting um, and, and in a happy marriage, they weren't unhappy. It was just like, here's this opportunity, you know, mm-hmm. some people like, you know, move to London for a new job and we're going to like instead invite <laughs> this guy into our bedroom. And it really, um, ends up taking off from there. And I just thought it was just like a perfect example of like the journey that people can go on when they're like brave and fearless with each other, but also mm-hmm. very hot. And sometimes I want that in a romance, right? Like a list from me of like the best romances of the year just would not be complete without an erotic romance. Like I just love them. And I, I, the best ones I want like people to know about. I think all the time about how you and Sierra came to erotic romance, having to move the character forward, like the sex Mm -hmm. having to move the character forward. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that's a really, it strikes a real chord because I feel like for too long I have thought of, I've been sort of noodling this idea of what is erotic romance? Like how do we tell the difference between sexy contemporary and erotic? Right. And for too long I've thought about sex being I thought that like the marker was like sex has to move the has to be integral to the story, which of course is true. Right. But it has to be integral to the characters evolving. Yeah. Right. And in this, I think Ilya um, and we will talk about Ilya again in, on a very near episode. Yes. Um, but I think that Ilya, one of the things that Ilya does very well is make yeah. sure that sex is about the characters. Like, yes. The, the character's evolution. Yeah. And I think that's that's why I think this book or her books in general, I've read a couple this year, just really feel like, you know, and Sierra's books too, right? Like it's, uh, don't get me wrong. I like just reading a book that's hot. But to me, the perfect erotic romance is one where I'm really like, this person is figuring out who they are. Yeah. Yeah. All right. My last one is also about people having sex to figure out who they are. Um but Fine. it's, you know, a little different in that it is a Sex Planet book. <laughs> um, so when we were going through this list, I was like, oh, I've got like courtesans and um, politicians and billionaires and native people and Taming of the Shrew and Amnesia. Like I need something that's like, you know, a little bit a little lighter. lighter, a little lighter to lighten it up. So um, I immediately thought Robin Lovett would be like Robin Lovett. The, these Sex Planet books give me joy. They're terrific. They really yeah. do. Like, and I think romance, I think too often. And I think now, especially in 2019, a lot of us are 
like it is hard to find joy even in romance, you yeah. know, like for a lot of us. Uh, yeah. And that means like we need these sort of bananas books more than ever now, more than ever. Right. Um, right. And I what I love about Robin's series, which is the Planet of Desire book. Uh, they are not called Sex Planet, even though that's how I think of them. <laughs> um, so the concept is like a, <laughs> it's in the future and there is a spaceship full of um, basically like warriors from across the universe. Most of them are humans. Some like the 10 planet consortium the or ten, whatever, yeah, right? It's like Star <laughs> Trek. Like, sure. And like the, Sex Trek. The, the, the spaceship crashes on a planet and the atmosphere of the planet is pure aphrodisiac so the native people of this planet um called the felomana (laughs) like basically like they have to have sex all the time because like it's basically they have to breathe they have to eat they have to sleep and they have to have sex because there's an aphrodisiac and like that's just the way their planet is built um And the main character here we've seen in the last couple of books, and he, like, glows with sex light, (laughs) and he's blue, and he's, like, he can, basically, he can, like, um, he can just, like, touch people and make them come, and he, like, he's a sex god, literally, like, he can, like, he... He's he's yeah. a medicine. He's basically like a medicine man, and his medicine is sex is medicine. sex medicine, like sex <laughs> orgasm. Remember uh, that like Red Hot Chili Peppers CD? It was like blood, sugar, sugar sex, sex magic. magic. Do I like remember that. it? Only every word of every song. <laughs> Just um, <laughs> they were so, forward thinking. Yeah, so basically, like, he can't, and also he, because he's, like, this cultural god, right, like, only one of him, the only, only one of them exists in every generation, and so, like, and he, like, if somebody gets sick, they get, like, sex sick, Yeah, (laughs) and so, and his job is to go to, like, their house and, like, give them a bunch of orgasms until they're not sick anymore, right, and so he, monogamy does not work for him. Really exist, right. Like, it just, it can't. Um, and the heroine of this book, Jenny, um, is part alien. And the alien part of her essentially, like, requires a mate. Like, a like once she has sex for the first time with her mate, she can never, like, if, they, if there's not right. monogamy in their relationship, she'll die. Like, right. she can't... The stakes are very high. So it's like one, his entire relationship to his community and his world is about essentially like sex with everyone, free love. And the other one, her entire identity and frankly, and her like health, her her very being is based on monogamy being essential. And so they have, they make a sex deal. (laughs) I love a sex deal. Um, And so, and basically he's like, all right, well, you, I'm going to, um, like, I'm going to, I'll help you come because she can't have sex, right? And right. she's on a planet full of aphrodisiac. 
So he's like, I'll help you come. Like, you have to come with another. The, also, the rules of this planet are masturbation, like, is fine, but it doesn't do the job. It's like, not going to really fix it. You have yeah. to do it with another partner. And she's terrified. So he's like, look, I'm a, I'm a sex doctor. Like, I'm going <laughs> to, I'll sex doctor you and I can, like, stay apart from you. But they don't have penetrative sex because she's pretty sure the penetrative sex is how you trigger the, right, trigger the mating bond. Um, and so he just makes her have orgasms all the time. And it's a nonsense book with a nonsense plot, but it is so delightful. And Robin writes such fun, like Robin does not take, there's no part of this book that like Robin takes too seriously. And I say that, I don't want that to be an an insult. Please, please don't take that as an insult. Like it's a really wonderful book um, because it is really playful and fun, but then like really emotional. Like when it finally, I don't want to spoil the ending, but like when the, when it gets to that sort of low moment where it feels like all is lost, like it really does feel like all, all is, is lost. lost. Yeah. Um, and then they they get on a spaceship, and the tagline for this <laughs> book is "Trapped on a spaceship with a sex god." <laughs> so, oh, that's my final pick. <laughs> yeah, no, it's amazing. That whole series is fantastic. I'm pretty sure she's. Yeah, writing. you should really read the whole series in order because. Yeah, it's first of all, it's delightful. You'll enjoy it immensely. And second of all, it really works if you've seen if you've read the, him I, in the earlier books. Yeah, I interviewed Robin for Kirkus um, earlier <laughs> this year, and it was it was great. Like talking to her about kind of like what she was doing and what she wanted to achieve with these books was just so fantastic. And I will link to it in show notes. It's great. Please do. And also like. You guys, Robin's really, really fun. Like, yeah. these are fun Fun books. books. Yeah, exactly. So, And I I'm, feel like we need more fun books. Yeah, well, I'm going to wrap up with a fun book, and then we're going to wrap up our yeah. 2019 list. Okay, so my last book is Fix Her Up by Tessa Bailey. Yay! Um, and I really loved this book a whole lot. And I think that um, it does a lot of things really well. Which so our heroine's name is um, Georgette Castle, Georgie to her siblings, and she's the youngest of three. And she is her profession is that she is like a professional clown. Like she literally goes to kids' mm-hmm. birthday parties and does this. And one of the reasons I think that I like this book is we uh, in 2019 threw around the term romantic comedy a whole lot for books, but very few of them were actually funny. And this mm-hmm. one I thought was like. Funny, not like, you know, comedy funny, but like clever funny and like smartly written funny and uh, observationally about the world we live in funny. And I really Mm -hmm. just thought it was like clever in a way that I think that that would work um, for people. So but the other thing that I really liked about and I think, you know, I just really Tessa Bailey writes these heroes in this case a guy named Travis Ford, who they're like, honestly, like one step away from being like. You know, I'm going to grunt and, like, hit you over the head of the club and take you back to my cave. So if you don't like that, then maybe you won't like this book. I fucking love it. And every single one of her heroes is just this, like, possessive, like, alpha. I don't understand what feelings are, but, like, somehow (laughs) I just really want this woman. And in this case, the trope is it's best friend's 
best friend's sibling. So Travis has been friends with her um, older brother. He was a uh, professional uh, pro baseball player. And I think he, an injury is essentially means that he can't play anymore. Mm-hmm. And she has had a crush on him her entire life. Mm-hmm. And so there is a fake dating plot where she's basically like, look, pretend to date me so my family will take me seriously. I'm tired of them thinking I'm just this dumb, silly clown, right? And she convinces him and they, and I just, I think one of the things I really liked about it is for so many people, like, the way you are with your family, I mean, right, like sort of the role that you play in your family feels so fixed. Mm-hmm. And I really liked this plot. And even if, I, you know, I read some critiques where people were like, well, you know, she shouldn't feel this way. But I was like, but when you're the baby of the family that's and you're the baby feels. girl, that's how it feels. Yeah. And I mean, I, I get that. Yeah, I did, too. And I, I really liked her determination to essentially like force her family to see her in a different way. You know what I love about that book? And I think like it's such a light touch and I feel like it, it again, it's one of those moments where like Tessa does it better than many people. I love that he's such a mess. Oh god, yes. Like he's so much of a mess that like I would never write a heroine this a hero this way, right? Like he's such a mess. Like she that even that very, very first scene where she walks in and he's like drunk or like he's oh, yeah. sleeping he's... off a hang he's like hungover <laughs> right. and there's just pizza boxes and like Chinese food containers everywhere in his apartment and she's like, This is gross. Like you're yeah. gross. Like and she's you basically gotta get like, yourself get together. together. Like right? I'm sorry that you were only a major league baseball player for like two yeah, years. That's who? real get rough together, for you. Right? right? And like and I love that I love that because I think too often, or I think often in romance, but also in life, like we sort of believe that men can't be messes like, and be worthy of love. And he is a real fucking mess. Yeah. And she, like they, he evolves. Yeah. Really like powerfully. And I think that um, often in these rom-coms, what we're seeing and what we're seeing in contemporary romance specifically is we're seeing sort of this really interesting shift into stories that are really the heroine's arc and the hero yeah. is like secondary to it. We talked a little bit about this with Andy Christopher when we talked about the cinnamon roll, mm-hmm. like the cinnamon roll hero makes the arc really a lot about the heroine. Yeah. And I think that this book feels very balanced to me. Yeah. I think the other thing I just want to throw out there, because I I really love Tessa Bailey. I've been a big fan of hers for years. Her books just, like, work for me at a very primal level. (laughs) Almost Mm -hmm. every single one of them is there's another subplot about Georgie and her sister and another woman who's going to, I think, get her book, her, you know, her romance in the second book is – there's like a real strong, powerful female friendship in these books. And I feel like that's, I'm seeing that advance in Tessa's writing, Mm -hmm. right? Where I feel like what she has really been great at in the past were like these male friends and that sort of fraternity kind of feeling. So I feel like that's the other thing. I'm just watching this author level up in a new place and I really like it. Yeah. She's really evolving, which is cool. I feel like I should say this cover it's, I mean, Tessa Bailey books are practically made of like, made of fire like they come with a pack of matches 
So, mm-hmm. you know, despite the like real innocent, sweet looking cover, it's real dirty inside. And it was amazing <laughs> and real good that way. Just be forewarned. Yeah, I got it. Um. All right. Do you want to do Friends? Yeah. Quickly? All right. Talk so we'll just do friends. like we'll rattle off some books that I, I would not I didn't put on my list because I wanted to be ethical. Um, <laughs> other books I really love this year, all written by my friends, but like full disclosure, they're books I would have, I would have loved even if they weren't written by my friends. Um, Sierra Simone, friend of the pod, misadventures of a curvy girl. You and I both really loved. Yeah. Um, which is, uh, we talked about this already on a podcast. We'll link to it, but it's, um, like plus size heroin and, uh, yeah. a polyamorous relationship. Um, and then we should talk about um, Adriana Herrera's amazing American Dreamer series, but she also has what looks like a real cute little book about a chef for you. Yeah, mangoes and mistletoe. Yeah, coming out in a couple weeks. It looks really cute. So she's been producing some great work this year that we're really excited about. Yeah, I mean, I've talked a thousand times, including this episode, about how much I loved American Love Stories, so... And it looks like she's got some great stuff coming next year, too. Yeah. Uh, and then you stole Adriana from me. Uh, oh. Sophie, Sophie Jordan's Duke's oh, Sto- yeah. Stolen Bride. The Duke's Stolen Bride. It's fantastic. Um, uh, it's She's basically like, I'm going to learn to be a courtesan. Maybe you can maybe you can teach me. Yeah, it's like courtesans everywhere tonight. But yeah, like I'm, I'm for it, man. I want every woman sure. to just get get it also can i share i'm gonna make you a little jealous right now but i just read the first uh half of her next historical which is the aphrodisiac book and Mm -hmm. it is bananas (gasps) so get ready for that that cover that cover is whoa it is so effing good. It's real it. hot, you guys. You are all going to want to pre-order yeah. that. I made um, I made a Pinterest board in honor of it. There's like two books on it where it's like basically like wall banger right there on the cover. Yep. And there's so far there's only two romances on it. So if you have Do you know I've asked for a wall banger cover before and I've never gotten one. So Ugh, I'm well, sorry. I'm working better, for you. Avon. And then um, December 31st, it's not just Joanna's book. It's all also a friend of the pod, Kate Claiborne's Love Lettering, which is a beautiful love story set in Brooklyn, my hometown, mm. um, in like a perfect about a hand letterer and who's like obsessed with old school New York, like um, hand painted signs and yeah. a chrome and glass finance guy who yeah. kind of doesn't know what's hidden. And it's really lovely, and you should all go pre-order it now. See? There you go. Have a great 2019. Tell us the books that you read this yeah, year. What did we forget? Regardless of when they were regardless of when they were published. We will accept um, the last week of 2018 and <laughs> the last week of 2019. <laughs> exactly. We're not that people. We're not those people. And, um, you know, read something awesome. You can... Uh, call us and tell us about what you think yeah uh we'll leave us a message at 646-450-3766 uh order awesome swag from sarah's shop um links and show notes yeah and buttons from best friend kelly on my site and links and show notes 
I think that we all, here's my thing. I think we all buy a lot of books for each other. I don't really buy a lot of people romances as like winter, Christmas, Hanukkah, whatever gifts. But this year I'm going to change all that. No more, no more just buying important literary books at Christmas. Buy somebody an amazing yeah, romance. Too. Exactly. Also, bring PS, joy into their lives. Mass market paperback fits in a stocking. Into a stocking. None of the others do. So, I mean, unless <laughs> you all you have go. massive stockings. Stocking Ooh. stuffers. <laughs> I haven't read this book, but I like that it's called Stocking Stuffers, and I hope it's real dirty. Oh, yeah, God. Don't we all? All right. Stay tuned next week uh, for a regular episode. And the week after is Christmas, I think. Getting close, at least. Getting close. I'm not sure where we are. No, the week after will be our AMA. Oh, yeah. AMA part two. And then we'll have a special Christmas episode where maybe I'll regale you all with how much I hate the holidays. Uh, really what you're going to do is read stacking stuffers and tell everybody about it. So get ready, everyone. There's I will. I'll give you a full heaving bosom style recap of stocking stuffers. All right. All right, my friends. Thanks for being with us for 2019. It was fun. Hi, my name is Molly. Um, I think my Twitter handle is at Molly so it's funny as soon as you guys put up the voicemail I was really excited and I was trying to think of like what books that I haven't read in a really 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 long time that I just I I have like 1500 books on my Kindle and that's not including the thousands that are probably buried in my parents house somewhere like what are the titles of some that I can think of almost immediately out of that and the first one which is funny because you immediately started talking about the Bridgertons after that was I think it's called When He Was Wicked, obviously by Julia Quinn. Um, and it's Michael Sterling is the guy, and Francesca, who was married to his brother, which is, you know, interesting. But for whatever reason, he's, I wouldn't call him a cinnamon roll, but I think that there's a lot of cinnamon roll qualities there. Like, he's been in love with her for a few years and years and years and went into himself away because, obviously, she was married to his brother. Um, I just have this recollection of it being just really wonderful, and a little bit more risque, I guess, maybe, than the rest of the Bridgerton books because she's marrying her uh, dead husband's brother. So, anyway. Um, another one is a really old, I think it's Susan Elizabeth Phillips. I'm not sure. I'll have to look at them. Um, maybe I'll call back and tell you. But it's called Truly Madly Yours. I couldn't tell you why. I really haven't read it in years. I'm actually Hi, this is Molly Lee's, or Molly again. I'm okay. I was calling while I was driving, and there was a brick in the road that I didn't see because I was on the phone. Anyways, um, I just wanted to say thank you guys, and I really enjoyed this podcast. Bye.